Father, thank you for today. Um, even thank you for the sun to warm up a little bit. Um, you're so good to us. And Father, we look back almost 2,000 years ago and we're reminded that uh, your goodness is so much bigger than our little minds can even begin to comprehend. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you that he paid the penalty for sin. Thank you that he rose from the grave. Thank you so much that he gave us your, your Holy Spirit. Thank you so much that we know he's coming again. Father, just thank you. And I pray today we would enjoy just the celebration of what it means to be those who follow in the pathway of the resurrected Jesus. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. All right, have a seat. Amen. Happy Easter. All right. He is risen. Well, I don't, it's so many people are here for different reasons, and I, I get that. Just in case you don't know, um, and you're not unsure about it, for Christians, like, this last week's our big week, right? This is our big week. Like, Christmas is cool and whatnot, you know, Jesus come to this earth, uh, God in human flesh. But there's something about this last week that we celebrate that happened almost 2,000 years ago when Jesus died. We call it Good Friday. Some people wonder, why in the world is it good? Well, it was great because we know this rebellious humanity not only hung him on that cross, but all of us around here, we know there's something wrong. All of us within us, we have this rebellion that Jesus Christ came, he died, he absorbed what was owed us from the Father. And because of that, it says in Colossians 2, our sin was nailed to the tree, that we face it no more, that now also we stand in this possibility that we too can have a right relationship with God. See, that's amazing. And we love talking about the cross. But I found so often the thing we don't know how to talk about is an empty tomb. Now, the empty tomb is pretty cool. This whole Jesus coming back from the dead thing, let's be honest, that's pretty crazy. But the thing the Bible tells us is when he came back from the grave, something amazing happened is that into this world of brokenness, into this world of death, he emerged from the grave, he defeated death, he came out in such a way that life had now broken into this world and a life like this world hadn't seen. And when he came, here's what's nutty about it. Lives could be changed. People could be transformed. Not only that, but we know that there's now an afterlife in which Jesus Christ will come back one day. He'll gather together his church. We will go and spend an eternity with him, which praise God, new bodies and a new earth, all with God, that all of that is tied into this. And that makes today, again, pretty significant. But I get everybody's here for different reasons. See, the ones clapping usually are like, oh, I get it. I totally get it. But there's some here that were like I was at some point. You're kind of a skeptic. It's almost like, you know what I mean? Those moments where you feel like it's too good to be true. Where it's like, come on, dude. Like, I think that's just what Christians believe because they're supposed to believe. And they're kind of a little freaked out about what happens after death. So they've created this big giant myth somehow in the back of their head that this is the way that they're going to explain away things. Well, one of the things that I hope to do just in this little bit of time that I have this morning is whether you're somebody that's excited to be here because you truly do believe Jesus Christ has rose again, or if you're somebody that's here today, maybe for whatever reason you got drugged here, you'll hear just for a moment that this resurrection thing, I think, is amazing. I think it's amazing. Here's why. I think in the resurrection, God did something powerful. He realized that every one of us in here as human beings were rational. And so he makes the resurrection something that's completely rational. He makes it something that you can look back on and the evidence and observe the evidence and realize there's a very good case to be made for a little resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
But I think there's more to it. Sure, there's a, there's a rational part to it, but I think there's something even greater than that also. It's just stinking miraculous, right? Somebody comes back from the dead. That's pretty stinking amazing. And I think in us, we know this. Even those that are, that are rationally wrestling through who's God, we know we don't want a God that we can just wrap our minds around, that somehow we can cognitively put him together because if that all it is, then he's really not God. But I think there's this other part that I want to show you as we look at John 20 today. If you've got your Bibles, you can open there. If not, you don't, you don't have to. I'll, I'll explain to you the story. But I think also this God that sits in unapproachable light, this one that is miraculous, something amazing happened. He also wants to be intimate with us. He wants to be personal. Now, so much of it revolves in John. We're going to tell the story from that perspective around what happened in John 20 with this lady Mary Magdalene and Peter and John. Now, before you get to the story in 21, he calls it the first day of the week, but in 20 verse 1, we got to kind of go backwards and understand what just took place. Well, we know this is that Jesus Christ died. He wasn't kind of dead or mostly dead like on Princess Bride. He was dead. And being fully dead, they took him and they placed him in a man's tomb called Joseph of Arimathea. They wrapped him in, 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 in his, his death cloth. They put spices around him and they put him in this grave. We also know, though, that the Jewish leaders of the time were petrified that somehow in there, some of his disciples were going to come and take his body away. So they told the governor, look, you've got to protect against this. So they put, from what we can understand, somewhere between 10 and 30 of these trained, well-armed guards around it. They put a seal across the grave to say that, you know, don't mess with this or you mess with Rome. They, they, they rolled a rock in front of it, which I, I didn't even know to this point that how much it weighed. It probably weighed somewhere between three and 4,000 pounds, so not a pebble. And the Jewish people then went off to celebrate the Sabbath on the Passover. And then on the first day of the week, it says Mary Magdalene, this woman that passionately loved Jesus, decided to come with other ladies because we find out in verse 3 there's a we to it. They came and she was going to kind of finish the job that was started in prepping him to, for his death. Now, if you can just imagine for a second, she shows up at this thing and, and again, just put your mind back in her shoes for a little bit. The stone is rolled away when she walks up on it and you gotta, that would freak anybody out. I know we kind of understand the story, so we're like, what's the big deal? At that time, that would have freaked her out. And in fact, it says she went running back to Peter and, and the guy that says is the apostle, the other apostle, which John, for whatever reason, never told us his name. He was the, God, the apostle that Jesus loved or the other apostle. And she says to them this amazing statement, and we're going to kind of just talk about it being rational. In her rational mind, somebody took Jesus. Now, Peter and John, a little bit freaked out at the moment, says they took off running. And, and one of the things people say is that John was probably younger because it says he beat Peter to the, to the grave. And so you have the young John, you know, coming up. And it says when John got there, and I just, I want you to hear three words that are so key out of understanding John 20. This word saw. It says that John walked up and he didn't come into the tomb, but he kind of took the glance in. That's kind of like me, I'll be honest with you. I'm not going to go into some dirty, nasty tomb. I'm more the guy that was going to see in there. And that word just means he looked at it. He, he, he observed that, that for whatever reason, Jesus is gone. The grave clothes are laying there. Well, along comes old Peter, you know, probably. And if anybody knows Peter, Peter didn't stand outside looking at it. He walked right in. And it says he saw, but this is a different word, saw. 
If the first word saw is to acknowledge that's there, this one is actually observational. It's rational. It's reasoning. He was trying to figure out where did Jesus go because he saw in there these clothes lying in there, his head cloth and his body cloth laying completely uh, nicely laid out, but Jesus wasn't there. He was being rational. See, I love this about God. God doesn't ask us to check our head at the door. God doesn't come in, you know, at this moment and go, hey, Peter, don't be an idiot. I know where Jesus is. He, he lets him walk through the way we are as human and be rational. Now, this week, I was trying to imagine what was Peter being rational about? Now, we know the whole thing was is that we couldn't find the body. Now, if anything, if he's like me, I would have thought, okay, some of the other disciples came and they, they grabbed the body. That's probably what's going on. But then in his rational mind, he would have thought through the fact that in order for those disciples to get there, they'd have to get past 10 to 30 of these Roman soldiers, which were well-trained. Then they'd have to, once they got past them, break a seal that says, if you break this seal, you're going to die. Then they'd have to move a 3,000 to 4,000 pound stone. Then once they finally got in there, which is crazy enough to think in and of itself, they would have to remove Jesus all for a big giant lie. And no Jewish person's going to touch a dead body, let alone unwrap Jesus and take him naked through the town because that would have desecrated the body. So probably Peter, in his rational mind, goes, eh, probably not. Okay. What about grave robbers? I've heard that one before. He probably again thought in his mind, and okay, for grave robbers to get here again, they'd have to kill the 10 to 30 different guards that were outside of it. They would break the seal, which would cause now Rome to come down on them. But then he probably thought, well, they're criminals. They don't care. Then they'd have to move the three to 4,000 pound stone. They would come in, and then the thing that they're going to steal is a dead body and leave the claws lying there with all the incense and different things on it that were worth just tons and tons of money at that time. He probably went, I don't think so. What about the Jewish leaders and the Roman people? Well, again, in his rational mind, he's like, why would they do that? Because they were worried about somebody taking Jesus. So again, there's Peter left in this moment being rational, wrestling through this, going, what do I do with this Jesus that's been taken? Now, some of you are sitting there going, yeah, that's, that's all nice and whatnot, but they got to actually be there. See, the thing about this is that I don't think God was just allowing them to be rational then. I think God allows us to be rational now. See, I'm not going to give you all of them, but just looking at John 20, I think there's some definite reasons why I think we as Christians should be totally stoked that God allows us to rationally work through things, to, to wrestle with things in our mind through what does it mean to follow Jesus. In fact, I would say this, if you're somebody that has never rationally wrestled through something like the resurrection, the moment that difficulty comes, I promise you, you're going to fall away because you haven't thought through some of these things. See, we can look at this account and realize that I can, I can trust this because of the amount of people that saw Jesus. We see in this case, Peter eventually will see Jesus. John will see Jesus. We see in this that Mary gets to see Jesus. Later on, we learn that this guy named Thomas gets to see Jesus in John 20. Amazing story, right? He, all the guys come back to Thomas and they're like, you wouldn't believe this. Jesus is risen from the dead. And, and, and I'm such a Thomas. I totally understand him. I'm like, bro. He probably didn't say bro, but he, he said, fellas. Unless I get to touch that hole in his side, touch the places where the nails pierce his hands, I'm not going to believe. And they're all standing in this house with the doors closed and suddenly the resurrected Jesus shows up. Again, whoa. And Jesus walks up to him and says, go ahead. Now on one level that freaks me out. I probably wouldn't touch him because I'm a little grossed out by stuff like that. But I'm just imagining him going, no way. 
But see, something happened to Thomas, and this is what I want you to see. It's bigger than rational because all of a sudden, he comes to this moment and he says these words at the very end of seeing and touching Jesus. He says, my Lord and my God. See, it's a rational reality that leads us to the acknowledgement that Jesus wasn't just a man. He wasn't just a good philosopher or a good prophet. This Jesus was who he claimed to be. He was the full God-man. And the only thing people did after seeing him was worship him. That's what it led to. But the other thing that's so interesting from this rational standpoint is this lady Mary, Mary Magdalene. Now, if you study the life of Mary very long, this is what you'll realize. Mary was a woman that probably we would have looked at in our day and age. And again, just just go with me. She was a woman that it says that she was oppressed by demons. She probably would have looked like, and not necessarily someone who was mentally ill, but like those, the people that we see on the streets a lot of times, that they're out of their minds and they're saying weird things and doing weird things. She was a woman that was cast to the outside of their culture until she met Jesus. Jesus cast the demons outright. She became the greatest lover of Jesus. She adored Jesus. Now think about this for a second. If you were going to start a fake religion, would you start it with a crazy person saying they were the first one to see Jesus? I'm being serious. Not only that, but this week, uh, everybody knows I love church history, and I was looking back on this guy named Celsus. Not Celsius, but a guy named Celsus. He was this philosopher at the time that was one of the first critics of Christianity. In fact, he wrote a whole reality on the the false reality of Jesus. And one of of the kind of things that he saw is the weakness within Christianity was not that that she was crazy at one point, but the fact, and now again, this is going to offend so much of us in our 21st century. The reason he said you can't believe the resurrection and you can't believe this whole thing about the Bible is because she was a crazy woman. Right? Now, you got to give this guy a little bit of credit because at that time, in order to be like a credible witness to something, actually, they didn't take the evidence of women. Now, if you were going to start a religion and say in it that the whole way in which this whole thing all came about, the first people to witness to the risen Jesus were women, and not only that, but a crazy woman, Historians would say that is never the way that you should start it, but yet that's the way the Bible starts it. Because our God does not care about whether we're male or female, what status we have or our pedigree in our life. He only cares that about people and he adores people. Now there's all kinds of other evidence, but it's rational. But I think there's this other side that we've got to also wrestle with is it's just the fact this is a miracle. I don't want to follow a Jesus that's just some dead guy that somehow started this, this, this some form of a, of a nice religion. See, I think in the back of our heads, we don't want a God that we can explain. I think this is where the whole superhero thing comes from. So many of us want superheroes because on one level, we're trying to understand how this world works. And the other thing we know is this world is just all kinds of messed up. We want the miraculous. It's what Einstein saw. In fact, if you ever read what he talked about with religion, it's that he looks at all the various religions of the world and then he looks up in the sky through his telescope and he sees these stars far out that burn at 250,000 degrees Fahrenheit and the way that the universe operates and yet we create a God somehow in our our own mind that we can manage. You don't want that. You want to be blown away. 
In fact, by the time you get to verse 11, this is, this is Mary. She, she shows up. All the guys are kind of getting it figured out. They leave. And she's sitting there crying. And she finally goes into the tomb. And there's an angel sitting at both ends of the place in which they laid Jesus. And she's trying to figure out, where did they lay Jesus? Where's Jesus? And, you know, they look back at her. And, and you basically, you know, why are you asking this? And then she hears probably something behind her. She turns around thinking it's the gardener, not understanding that it's Jesus. And she's like, please tell me where you've laid Jesus. Where is he? And this is Jesus' response. Now, this is what's so crazy about this. Like yesterday or, or two days ago, I took my kids to see Shazam, right? And, and if anybody grew up in the 70s, you know why I took them to see Shazam, because that was a great, that was a great TV show, one of the best ever. But I take them to it, and they're trying to figure out how do you reveal the hero? Now, they did it by choosing, and again, I'm sorry, I'm going if, to, if, if you don't want to hear this part, just, just click, plug, plug your ears if you want to go see it. It's a terrible movie, but anyways, I'm just going to tell you. The way that they reveal him as Shazam is they put him on YouTube. They have him like shooting lightning bolts and saving all these things, being a total like just idiot. But that's how they reveal him. See, not only is it rational, not only is it something that's miraculous, but check this out. The moment that they're sitting there having this conversation, he doesn't come down glowing out of the sky and say, Mary, it is I. He just says this, Mary. That's pretty powerful. See, if it's this God that we think in our heads or it's, a, or it's a God that is this miraculous one and we know this, the Bible tells us that God sits in unapproachable light with angels around him. This is what's so key about what happened on the cross is that Jesus Christ in restoring this relationship between God and man made it so us as rebellion humanity can now live in right relationship with this God of the universe. Why? Because God doesn't want us just to have a mental relationship with him or a miraculous relationship with him. Him, he wants to have an intimate relationship with him. All throughout the Bible, from the very beginning to Genesis to the end of Revelation, I will be their God and they will be my people. God desires to be with us. And he says to her, Mary, wow. He could have said, woman. He could have said, yo. But he picked out her name. And he said, Mary, and this is what she said back. She said, Rabboni, which it tells us that means, ah, oh, teacher, there you are. See, for those of you sitting here right now today that are followers of Jesus, aren't you thankful that God doesn't ask us to check our head at the door? Aren't you thankful that this, this idea of following Jesus is rational? But aren't you glad it's not just a religion, again, of, of rational Spocks that kind of, that's right, that's the way we go through. No, it's this God that blows us away regularly. A God that reminds us that he's not someone small. A God that loves to, like he did in these people's lives, rearrange all those categories in their, in their minds and blow us away and cause us to say like Thomas, my Lord and my God. So if you're a follower of Jesus that is sitting here today, you are sitting in an absolutely wonderfully privileged position. Never forget that. Now what about those of you that don't? Let me challenge you on something. Everything I've just said to you is a small picture of this idea of the resurrection. 
I get that there's many of you out there that are like, oh, I can't believe in this God because, you know, he doesn't like certain groups of people, or I can't believe in this God because of the way I, I read about certain things in the Old Testament. I can't believe in this God. You have all these reasons why you can't believe in this God, but let me ask you this. What happens if the resurrection's true? See, if the resurrection is true, all those other things that you bring up as obstacles on why you would come to know Jesus are thrown out the door. If he's really who he said he was, not some just nice philosopher guy that went through the world, kind of like Gandhi saying really cool, profound things. If he really was this one that was fully God and fully man, not just some nice guy doing benevolent realities for people. If he really was who he claimed to be, who people saw him as, those that saw him. In fact, the Bible says it wasn't just one or two or three or four. This one guy named Paul comes along and he encounters the risen Jesus. His life is radically changed forever. And he said, hundreds of people have seen this Jesus. In fact, 500 at one time. You can even go back, he said at that time, and talk to them and ask them about it. If this thing is really true, then here's the thing I would encourage you. Look into it more. Look into it. God's not afraid for you to ask questions and to long for and understand who this Jesus is. But I would say this. If what I'm saying is true today and you know what I'm saying is true today, there's only one response that you can have. You're to fall down like Thomas and say, my Lord and my God. So if you don't know Jesus Christ, I'll, I'll be standing over here. There'll be other people at different tables. We'd love to talk with you. In fact, we're about ready to teach a series just to, to help you even understand in a greater way what it means to follow God. But don't leave here today if you don't know Jesus without wrestling with this question of the resurrection of Christ. Because I believe everything hangs on that in Christianity. And I think you poke on it and you prod on it and you wrestle through it and you see the miraculous nature of it and you see this God who desires to be our God and for us to be his people. I think you will do what millions of people have done all throughout time. You will bend my knee just like them and you will say, my Lord and my God. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. I pray you would be honored by what we talked about. Father, for those that are yours, I pray that today we would leave excited about what it means to follow a risen Savior. And Father, for those that don't know you, I pray that today is the day that they bend their knee to King Jesus. In your precious name we pray, amen.